Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 322. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Today's episode is sponsored by Trauma Therapist Network. Trauma Therapist Network is a platform for finding a trauma therapist, learning about trauma, and understanding about how trauma shows up in our lives and what the healing process can look like. Go to www.traumatherapistnetwork.com to learn more. This week's episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now, for all you prescribers out there... Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Use coupon code CHAT or click the link in the show notes to get two free months at therapynotes.com. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I'm very pleased to be interviewing a returning guest, Maya Benatar. Maya's first time on Therapy Chat was back in 2017 in episode 96, and she's a music therapist. So if you listen to episode 96, you can learn a bit more about what music therapy is. This week, we are talking about rhythm and how she, as a music therapist, uses rhythm in her practice and how rhythm can be helpful with healing trauma. So to give you a little bit more of Maya's background, Maya Benatar, M-A, M-T-B-C, L-C-A-T. She has a lot of letters because she's a board certified music therapist, which is a national credential. And then her L-C-A-T is her New York credential. She's a music therapist and psychotherapist in private practice in Midtown Manhattan and online throughout New York State. Her specialties include anxiety, developmental and intergenerational trauma and highly sensitive people. 
In addition to her clinical work, Maya offers supervision and consultation for other therapists, provides professional development and wellness workshops, and offers restorative workshops for helpers and healers. Maya received her master's degree from NYU and has completed extensive postgraduate training in vocal psychotherapy, creative arts therapies and trauma treatment, and music and imagery. You can learn more about Maya at her website, mayabenatar.com, which I'll link to in the show notes. So I hope you will enjoy this fascinating conversation about rhythm and how rhythm can be used in music therapy. I thought it was a very interesting conversation. So let's dive right in. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I'm so happy to have a returning guest, Maya Benatar, LCAT, MTBC. (laughs) Maya, thanks so much for coming back to Therapy Chat today. Thanks so much for having me, Laura. Yes, it's my pleasure. And I'm, I'm so interested in your work as a music therapist. It's, it's like, I love music. And yet I don't really know that much about music therapy. Even after talking with you before, I I still in my mind, it's just more mysterious than um, the other disciplines that I'm more familiar with. So I'm really excited to talk with you today about rhythm. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, when we were chatting before, we were saying how how much rhythm shows up in in everything, right? So this like really global sense of rhythm, not only as an aspect of music, but rhythm as the rhythms of our body, our internal rhythms, I'll often call them. So there's rhythm in how we breathe, how we talk, how we move, the way our you know our blood moves through our through our body, all the internal functions. But also rhythm is in really in everything, right? In schedules and rituals and routines and how we interact or don't with people and relationships. Rhythm just shows up everywhere. It is everywhere. Yeah. And we don't really think about that, I think. So before we start really talking about rhythm, let's just start off by you telling our audience a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Sure. So I am a music therapist and psychotherapist in New York City, and I work online throughout New York State. And my private practice focuses mainly on working with women who are highly sensitive, HSPs, have anxiety and or experiences of childhood or intergenerational trauma. Wonderful. And so can you maybe start off by just giving people like a snapshot of what music therapy is? I know it's like (laughs) just a snapshot about (laughs) your whole profession. (laughs) 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 Just to set the context for people a little bit. Totally. So I, music therapy is a really a large and a diverse field and I work in just one tiny snippet of it. So just to, but to quickly say music therapists work with everyone from mothers who are pregnant and giving birth and babies in the NICU to people who are on hospice um, and people who are actively dying and then families uh, once their loved ones have passed and everything in between. So music therapists work in hospitals and special needs schools and private practices, all different, all different kinds of settings on all different kinds of goals. So again, like the work that I do is mainly focused on, on trauma for the most part. And there are music therapists who work, you know, with kids on the spectrum, with people who are going through neuro rehab, people who are, you know, 
in psych hospitals, all different kinds of places. So hard for me, I hope that gives like kind of a global overview, hard for me to speak succinctly about the entire field all, all at once. The American Music Therapy Association's website is a really good resource just for general information on the field. And that's um, musictherapy.org. It goes into a lot more detail than I can even remember um, about <laughs> all of the different sort of populations and areas that that music therapists work in some of which are totally outside of my specialty like neuro rehab really interesting work when music therapists work with people you know post-stroke and stuff like that and not at all in my wheelhouse to be honest so it's a very diverse and interesting field but essentially in a nutshell if I can try to find a nutshell here essentially it's using music in an intentional and goal-oriented way to address needs in social, physical, spiritual, emotional, and academic areas. And so that can be so many things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Every time I talk with you, my mind gets really fired up and just all these ideas start coming to mind. I'm gonna try to stay focused. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <all> good. <laughs> so you mentioned that you work with trauma and intergenerational trauma, as well as highly sensitive people. Um, which uh, there could be a lot of overlap mm -hmm. too in those populations. And um, as you know, trauma is my specialty as well. So how do you use music and maybe more specifically rhythm in working with your clients? How can it be a factor? Yeah, definitely. So I think, let me think of the easiest, sort of the most succinct way to, to get into this. When, and I'll focus mostly on trauma, though, of course, there's a lot of overlap between trauma and HSP and trauma and anxiety, as we know. But when someone has experienced trauma, um, particularly childhood trauma, so something that happened early in life or, um, or intergenerational trauma, something that happened before they were born, it can show up in sort of disrupted rhythm. So sometimes that can look like a, a lack of connection to them, themselves, feeling really disconnected, not really understanding their feelings, having been judged for or criticized or punished for feelings. It can show up in so many different ways, right? Mm -hmm. so, so music, the way that I work is there's a couple of things that will happen, right? The music doesn't just get used or like applied in one kind of preset way. I do tend to work in, in a very psychodynamic sort of framework in general, in that what happened, the stories of what happened before the present moment and patterns um, within a family system and all of that are really important. So not just focusing on like applying this one thing and, you know, tracking the outcome kind of deal. Not so, just like, I feel anxious and you're like, okay, listen to this music and then you'll feel better. Right. And you know what? A hundred percent. And I think that sometimes people will want that. And I say that like, th there's no way for me to know exactly what kind of music will help your anxiety, right? Because, and I think, you know, there's a lot of resources out there these days of like playlists for anxiety and playlists for sleep. And, and certainly those are a good place to start. If you have like no idea where to start, absolutely start there. But we are complex beings mm -hmm. and, and the music that helps some, one person soothe their anxiety 
is not going to be the music that works for another person. And it will probably even change day to day. And actually like a quick, a quick story of my own experience to illustrate that, if that's okay. Sure. Yeah. And I write, I wrote about this in a blog post a few years ago. So I often will hear from clients while I've tried listening to particularly classical music comes up a lot around anxiety and it didn't work years ago, a client saying, you know, I I listened to the Spotify peaceful piano station. And like, that just made me more anxious. So of course I had to go and listen to this Spotify channel and it's really lovely piano music, kind of like the kind of stuff you'd hear in a spa, but it, I could see what this client meant about it. It didn't really touch their anxiety. Those habits of, or those expectations of like Mozart's music should do this or piano music should do this. And if, if I don't respond in that way, it means that, you know, I'm broken or I suck or whatever it might be. Um, and so I had an experience myself a few years ago. I was driving, I had just gotten off an upsetting phone call and I could notice my own anxiety. And, you know, I'm able to track that and just sort of notice. And so I put on the local in New York City, uh, WQXR, the classical music station, which I love. I love classical music, grew up listening to it. And after a few minutes, I was like, yeah, this isn't doing anything. I can't remember what the piece was. It might've actually been making the anxiety worse. Right. And so I'm just flipping through. I'm like, okay, this isn't going to work. And rather than try to like, you know, persevere and, you know, push through and make it work. I was like, I'm just going to experiment. Like, why not? And I'm flipping through different presets and I come upon, and of course now I can't remember the name of the song. It was a Sia song, song by Sia. And that really, that really worked in that moment. And I remember like turning it up and turning up the bass. It has a very strong bass, this particular song. Wish I could remember the name of it. But I think if, you know, if you know Sia's music, like it, it has texture and layers to it. And it has this forward momentum for the most part. And that really connected for me. I could feel the bass in my chest. I could, I could find my breath after a few minutes. The, the sort of the anxious flutter in my chest sort of settled. And that worked for me in that moment on that day in a way that classical music just was not working, was not helping. Yeah. And even just as you say, like classical music, I mean, there's so many different types of classical music and then piano music. There's so many, you know, there's Scott Joplin and then there's like Vivaldi and there's Beethoven, you know, I mean, it's a total, and then there's, you know, all of Mozart's music wasn't the same and, you know, obviously. So (laughs) yeah, I mean, some things are going to be fast and some things are going to be dramatic and some things are going to be sad and slow and, you know. Yeah. I mean, lumping, you know, classical music all under the same umbrella, like does classical music and ourselves both a disservice and now that I think about it that Sia song might have been the chandelier one can't remember that's gonna bug me but whatever um (laughs) the rhythm of that song if we just go back to rhythm for a sec the rhythm of that song was really consistent and present like a really nice strong pulse and when we're feeling anxious generally we lose that that internal pulse right thinking about like internal rhythms and how those feel, we lose that because when we feel anxious, we get pulled sort of out of our window of tolerance, out of that space where everything feels consistent and grounded enough. And we get pulled into like hyper arousal, right? Where there's just kind of that heightened energy and I'm making like this like back and forth movement with my hand where everything just can get a little fluttery or tight or anxious. And so what I needed in that moment, and this really wasn't a conscious thought of, I'm going to find a piece of music with a good Mm -hmm. rhythm to it. But what was helpful after I reflected on it was that really consistent grounding bass and that consistent rhythm 
because we need something that reminds us of that when we've moved away from it, as we inevitably will do, because I don't know a single person who can stay calm all the time, self-included. Yeah, I mean, we're not really meant to. Our emotions are there to cue to us that we're feeling something. Right. Exactly. Yes. We're not meant to. And it's amazing how often I say that to clients. We're not meant, and it gives them such permission of like, we are not meant to be calm and ground and peaceful all the time. That's not what our emotions are, are meant for. It's not what our nervous system is designed for, right? Like we need to know when, when something, when we might be in danger or when we might be checked out. The problem is, is when we get stuck in those spaces, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, that even hearing your example about Sia and it made me think about another of her songs. I feel like I think we actually talked about this in our previous interview, but, you know, which is okay. But the, you know, that song Elastic Heart that has this really interesting rhythm. Mm -hmm. It's like this, you know, in the background and then there's something going like more steady. So it reminds me almost of like, if you look at an old fashioned clock, the inner workings of the clock and the different gears moving the way that song is. So does our body rhythm match the, the, like with that pulsing bass that you mentioned, does, does that like, does your heart rate like cue to it and match it up to slow down or something? Cause um, when music is fast, if I'm anxious, I feel more anxious. Yeah. I mean, our, our <laughs> internal rhythms are the way we're breathing. Our heartbeat will absolutely like kind of be in flux with what, what's around us, including music, right? Will it match it exactly? No, probably not. It's, it really, that depends, but yeah, like we're able to be influenced by music in that way, which I think is helpful when we're aware of it. Um, but we're also, you know, so many other things, not just music influence our rhythms, right? So like True. the noticing, even just the noticing of like, what, what am I noticing? What am I feeling in my body? I'll sometimes ask the client to like draw their, their internal experience or to play it. And so that awareness of, oh, you know, if they play something really fast, I'm like, oh, I'm actually really anxious right now. I didn't think I was anxious. Or, you know, if someone comes in talking, talking really fast, but then when I ask them to play their internal experience and it's really slow, we can feel more than one thing at a time, right? Like we are complex. We are so complex in that way. And so, and that's often, a, you know, a big piece of the work, I think for people in general and also in trauma work is being able to feel two things, right? That we are not like these black and white robots of like, mm-hmm. I either feel happy or I feel sad or I feel angry or, or whatever it is. But the complexity of like, I can be excited and also a little scared, or I can be, you know, joyful and a little sad, right? Like kind of holding those and music really can hold those, those dualities, those complexities in a way that sometimes our words really fall short. Mm, Yeah. All right. So you, you and I were talking before we started about how music is, it can, and rhythm can serve a purpose of resourcing and other purposes. (laughs) I didn't write down what I said, but, (laughs) or what you said. So would you like to talk a little bit about that music as resourcing? Is that really what we were just talking about or? I think in some ways, yeah, that is, that is what we were talking about, but I'm happy to, to keep, to keep talking about it because I think, you know, a lot of my clients come in saying they have a relationship to music. Often what draws people to, to music therapy in my experience is, is a couple of things. One of which is 
oh, I really love music. And wouldn't it be neat if I could explore healing my trauma or my anxiety or whatever it is in, in a way that connects me to something that I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. And so music as a resource is really important. And when we're working, when I'm working with, with someone who has a history of trauma, I want to make sure that they're resourced. I think any trauma therapist who, you know, who does this work wants to make sure their clients are resourced. You know, the analogy, the example of, you know, you don't go hiking up a mountain without a flashlight, right? Like we don't just kind of wander off into the, the darkness, the wilderness without, without something to see by without something to hold on to. I think I'm mixed about three metaphors there around trauma <laughs> therapy, but whatever. Um, and so sometimes a really, a really important and, and foundational piece of the work is resourcing. And that's not, it's not always music. Like I will ask clients, you know, can you connect to your body? Can you hold your body in a way that feels soothing right now? They may have never had that experience, right? Mm-hmm. Like things like butterfly hugs and feet on the ground and breath and, you know, turning side to side, like all the somatic, simple somatic stuff. That's actually really meaningful. And then using music as a resource is helping is a way to help people build that capacity to, I can feel calm enough, grounded enough emphasis on enough because we're never perfect at this, but I can feel calm. I have a way back into the calm feeling. I don't just have to wait for it to like float down from the sky. And I, you know, once every other month or whatever, but like, I have a way back in, which really helps people feel a sense of agency and a sense of control, healthy control of, I can, I can move this flexibility and fluidity around my feelings and around the way that I show up. And so sometimes with clients that's figuring out, like, let's say they want to feel more connected to feeling grounded, which is often a big one in my work. And so we might get curious about like, what does it feel like when, when you're grounded? What is that? And not just the thoughts of like, I, you know, when I'm grounded, I think about X, Y, and Z. That's important. I'm not saying it's not, but like, what does it actually feel like in your body? Uh, Sometimes I'll pull up like a a motion sensation wheel, that kind of thing, just to, to have more of the language of like, what does it really feel like in your body? Oh, you know, it feels like I can feel my feet on the floor. I feel a warmth in my chest. I feel my spine is longer, whatever it is. I'm just sort of, you know, freewheeling here. But, and, and sometimes we might need to go back to when was the last time or a time that you felt grounded? And I don't personally care if it was five minutes ago or five years ago, but really dropping into that memory and really just valuing that experience, really, really valuing that, that experience of feeling okay, of feeling grounded, of feeling calm again, whatever that, that resourced feeling is. And then finding a piece of music that connects. So again, like we were saying before, that's much less about sort of prescriptive, oh, it's got to be classical or, oh, it's got to be jazz or, and actually digging down to like the elements of the music. So if I offer, sometimes I'll offer people options because, you know, inevitably if, if I say, can you find a piece of music that, you know, there were, that connects you to calmness, that's a hard question. And sometimes that's a hard question mm. for me to answer, even given the work that I do. And so I give options and I have certain pools of music that I will offer from. And I'll ask people to get really specific of like, you know, what are the elements of this piece that, that connect you to grounding? Oh, it was the cello, you know, something about the, the richness and the warmth of the cello or, you know, oh, the guitar was too fast. And that actually makes me feel a little anxious. I would like guitar, but I would like it to be a little slower. Like we can really get so intentional about it. And then often we will do music and imagery in that supportive fashion. So staying with a piece of music, let's say we found one. And sometimes that's, that's 
a process in and of itself, right? The process of being able to say no to something. And perhaps they've never had that experience of being able to say no in a safe way, that no is accepted and understood. And so when we find a piece of music that connects them to that resource feeling, the feeling that they want more of, and we stay with it, um, the music will repeat and I will guide them into just noticing what the music is offering you and then noticing any images or sensations that come and letting those show up on, on the piece of paper. And this is not about drawing anything in particular. It can just be colors and shapes, but it's about deepening that experience and valuing the experience of, I can feel good in my body. I can feel calm. I can feel whatever it might be. And, and I can stay with that, right? Because so often it can be really fleeting and we want to connect together those moments of it feels, it feels more and more possible, right? And so going back to the window of tolerance of like widening the window, widening that space where we can feel in our window, in our you know, optimal kind of zone of arousal to be, to be with that feeling. Yeah. So as you're telling me that I'm thinking about rhythm and how, how does rhythm play a part in that? So if you're talking about like that, I think you called it visual imagery or something. <laughs> I got the question you were talking about like a guided meditation or a guided vis visualization uh, with music. Not, ex not exactly. So Certainly I do some, some guided visualization, you know, sometimes around things like a, a calm place, a peaceful place, things like that. The music and imagery process is allowing, is more around allowing the client to develop the imagery themselves mm -hmm. rather than me saying, I want you to imagine, you know, you're, I don't know, in a forest. Walking or, through a forest. You know, yeah. yeah. Like, and sometimes I'll do something like that. And that's incredibly valuable. But this is this process of staying with a piece of music and allowing internal imagery to come up. So okay. really trusting that there is the capacity in them, as is in all of us, to, to have that rich inner world of I can really stay with this feeling and the music can bring me images. Um, it can be really simple. It could be, I heard this piece of music and I was imagining I was, you know, standing next to a tree and it was this beautiful pine tree. And, you know, music is evocative. It's meant to be evocative. And mm -hmm. so the music that we use for supportive music and imagery is meant to hold, it doesn't develop. Like I wouldn't never say never, but I, you know, wouldn't generally use like Stravinsky's Firebird for something like this, right? Because that has a lot of quick rhythmic changes in it. It has a lot of um, dynamic changes. It's evocative, but not necessarily evocative of resourced feelings, right? It okay. might evoke sort of, might evoke many things, um, you know, might evoke anger or frustration or unknown in some way. But the, the elements of music for supportive music and imagery is the consistency is really important. So there will be like a consistent, generally speaking, a consistent rhythm, um, it just holds us in a certain place. So once, once a client finds a piece, we want to stay there. We want to deepen that capacity to be in that feeling. And it might just be that as they're listening, they feel warm. Okay. They feel warm. What color would warm warmth be, right? What shape might it, shape might it take on the page? So it's okay if they don't have like a whole story and, you mm -hmm. know, fleshed out imagery of, you know, the forest or whatever in their mind. But it's really just about deepening because that's imagery too, right? To really land in your body and to have sensation and color and texture where previously that 
that may not have been. Right? Yeah. Trauma, trauma can keep us so much in our heads and so much in that sort of black or white space. And so this is about not to be too hokey, but it's about like adding the color, the color and texture of different ways of, of feeling and ha- helping that be really safe and, and possible and approachable. Yeah. I think, I think I'm hearing my mind wants to make this in what I understand. So I think what I'm hearing is like that if we're in like a pattern of kind of almost like a rut of something, not to say the person is in a rut in their life, but like there's a worn path that's familiar and we're kind of in that, whether it's an anxiety loop or a spiral of depression or whatever. And then this music and imagery processes about sort of opening up the the field of like sensation, you know, imagery, so like, we want to get on a, a different path. I think the, yeah. the, the visual of a path is helpful, right? Because so often, um, and I'm sure you would probably agree with this, like when someone starts therapy, they're stuck in a pattern that they don't like, or that is really uncomfortable, whatever that might be. Right. And so that can yeah. be, you know, anxiety loops, um, you know, fights with their spouse, right. And it just, the pattern just repeats. There's like this loop that's happening. And so people come to therapy because they want to change at at its core, right? Like therapy at its core is is change oriented. And, And we need to both understand the pattern that's happening, right? To really like unpack that and understand it. It's really hard in my experience to, to understand it if you're still in it, if you mm-hmm. don't have the capacity to kind of move out of it and kind of see it from a distance. So certainly a lot of the work, and I can talk about this, a lot of the work that I do is in looking at the distressing, you know, tension filled memories or patterns or relationships that someone might have in their life, but also about helping them feel different because we want that as well. And we can go back and forth between feeling resourced and feeling calm and grounded because when you're, and, and looking at the, the difficult stuff, quote unquote stuff, we go back and forth, right. Between, okay, like I can feel, I can, you know, pack that backpack of, of resources and, and get my flashlight and make sure it's got batteries. And, and that's the doing the work to feel, to feel calmer, to feel more grounded in my experience. Otherwise it's really easy for people to stay in the loops and to just, even in a therapy session, I will often pause people and say like, you know, we're kind of going around the same theme. We're kind of talking around the same theme and I'm not sure how helpful that is. I say that in probably hopefully kinder ways than that, but, <laughs> but you know, sometimes I am that fort, right. Of like, let's try something different, right. What, and sometimes that's so, that's so challenging to, to feel different. There's some is challenging, right? Like, even if someone doesn't like the pattern that they end, they're in, it's familiar. Yes. Right. And our, we are wired to like familiarity, even if it's uncomfortable. Right. And so the idea of fear, the unknown, yeah, the fear of the unknown, the idea of feeling something outside of the familiar, the known um, is, can be really challenging. Right. So as much as it, it can feel like, of course, like listen to music that connects you to positive feelings, 
it can be really challenging for people. What if they've never had experiences of feeling calm or grounded? What if, you know, as a child, when they felt calm, that was when something bad might happen or they never let themselves feel calm because they were always kind of waiting and watching for something to happen. Um, And so sort of in always in that state of being fearful and they've held on to that, right? The body remembers all of that and holds on to that. And so being able to, to be resourced, to have that happen in relationship with me, right? which is a really important part of any kind of therapy, but particularly in the way that I work, like being able to receive that from someone to be, to have that rhythm of like the give and take of like, okay, we're going to slow down around this. I really value that you don't feel comfortable a lot of the time that you don't feel safe. And I want to help you experience that because that's really important. That's really, it's a really big piece of the work. Yeah. That's really fascinating and very thought provoking for me. So one thing you were saying you do a lot of is you mentioned the words reclaiming rhythm. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So the phrase reclaim your rhythm came out of some workshops that I had done a few years back. And then it sort of dawned on me that that in essence is a lot of the work that I do. So the idea of reclaiming is that we take back something or that we claim it for the first time really in sort of a bold way or in a gentle way, both of which I think are really important in therapy. And rhythm can be so much. It can be like we were saying, it can be our own internal rhythm of how we feel, how we express ourselves, how we hold boundaries. And it can also be the rhythm of any sort of relational space. So what happens between between partners, between parent and child, between coworkers, there's a rhythm to really any sort of interaction is it's not always a comfortable or enjoyable rhythm, right? Sometimes there's friction in in these rhythmic, rhythmic exchanges, really. Sometimes there's an absence of response, right? Think about a kid who's trying to get something, a response from a parent and the parent is just not connected, right? So that's, there's rhythm in all of in relationship, really relationship is, and rhythm are interchangeable in the way that I think about it. So helping someone reclaim them, reclaim the rhythm rather is figuring out what, what they want to change and holding that under this, this sort of umbrella of everything we do in the way that I work, everything that we do, everything we are is rhythm. And also the way that we can process what we want to change is not just through words. Because so much of what happens to us happens in our bodies, happens in our implicit memory, happens in the stories of those who have come before us. And so if we want to really affect lasting change, I keep making this motion like down my body from my head, it has to move downward. It can't just be a cognitive process as valuable as that is. We need to be able to feel different and to sustain those different feelings. Yeah. And I just think about how I can remember a certain time when I worked in a very difficult job and I was close to burnout or maybe I was burned out. But I remember I tried to go to Zumba to um, let off some stress and I, I couldn't move my shoulders and I couldn't move my hips, you know? So it was like, there's a way that you move your body. Like when you walk, when you step, when you dance, that is rhythmic, mm-hmm. you know, and it has a predictable rhythm. But when you're so tense up, I was like, this is how I know that I am really, this job is really stressing me out because I feel like my shoulders are up by my ears and I can't make them come down and I, I can't shimmy to save my life. And <laughs> because they just won't move, it's like locked, it's like rigid. 
Running a group private practice has been a challenging and rewarding experience, and one thing that has made it so much easier is Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. If you're coming from another EHR, like I did, Therapy Notes makes the transition incredibly easy, importing your demographic data free of charge so you can get going right away. My team has found Therapy Notes very easy to learn. It's intuitive. The customer support is second to none. And that's one of the things that has kept me a Therapy Notes customer for several years now. Anytime I've needed to contact Therapy Notes for help with an issue I couldn't figure out on my own, I've been able to get through to someone and resolve the issue within 15 minutes, 99% of the time. Find out what more than 100,000 mental health professionals already know. Try Therapy Notes for two months absolutely free. Just click on the link in the show notes or enter the promo code chat at therapynotes.com. Yeah. I mean, and that, that's such a great description and that happens, you know, that happens in our bodies and it happens in, in the patterns in our lives. Right. And so Mm. not only is it about figuring out ways to feel differently, but then, like I was saying before, really just unpacking the why, like, what is it that's happening that is causing that, that tension, that the lack of, you know, to go with your, about your shoulders and hips, the lack of fluidity, flexibility, mobility, and all of those words can be used in the context of, of our feelings and our relationships, right? Like, why am I looped into, you know, I'm always anxious. And so, for example, and so like also part of the work that I do is looking at the, the difficult stuff and not just talking about it. I think I do often talk with clients and there's a lot of value to our words and to making meaning. We need to make meaning of what's happening internally. Otherwise, it just stays internal. But being able to express through music what we may not have words for or what feels more, more approachable to express it, you know, that sentence was backwards, it might feel easier to, to express it in music. So sometimes I'll, I'll have clients who say, well, I can find a, a song for it, but I don't actually know what the words are. And it's not for lack of capacity to speak on their part. It's that, it's that some of this really runs quite deep, right? I mean, otherwise, why would there be centuries of, of musicians and artists and you know, dancers and all of this, like, this is a way that we communicate. Creativity is a way that we communicate just inherently as humans, which is reminding me of the book, The World in Six Songs. It's a Daniel Levitin book, which is a really, I think, encapsulates in a much more succinct way, some of what I've been saying about that we need different kinds of songs serve different purposes. Essentially, it goes through what he categorizes as the six different types of songs and the roles that they've played in human behavior and culture as it's been shaped. It's a really interesting book. And so I'll often, just to go back to what I was saying, I'll often really work with clients around unpacking the tightness, unpacking the stuck places, unpacking the why is it every time I talk to my sister, I end up crying or whatever it might be. And so we want to not just talk about those But to have a different relationship to the tears, for example, in that made up example of the tears and the sister. And so I'll ask people to, okay, let's find a piece of music that that connects to the quality of the tears. The tears are really important. And you've tried talking about it and you're just in the same loop of you talk to your sister, you cry. And so we'll really slow down, which is such an important part of, of trauma therapy, the really the deep slowing down of let's, you know, I might ask someone, can you draw you and your sister? 
can you and that that's a place for just externalizing the you know the relationship right having it out of the out of the head out of the words and then maybe it's can you pick a song or a sound to represent you and represent your sister and then maybe one to represent the two of you together where is the give and take where is the disconnect right is it a and and i get a lot of information and they often get a lot of information just from that slowing down and unpacking of oh you know I'm making up this example as I go along. So I'm this really slow, you know, cello piece. And my sister is a Sia song. That just popped in my Mm -hmm. mind. And so we're operating on these different levels. And it's really hard for me to, to be around her energy. It's really hard for me to feel some separation between us. I feel like she encroaches on me. There's a lot of metaphor in even choosing instruments to represent people, choosing instruments to represent ourselves. And then, so that's a way to explore it. Also, we might use our voices to represent, to explore, not just with words. So using vocal sounds to explore friction, to explore closeness, tension. And I'll do this with clients. So this is um, what I'm talking about now is vocal psychotherapy, which um, Mm. is an intensive post-grad training that I did with Dr. Diane Austin, who is, she created, um, developed and created this method, which is really based around using the voice as a way to heal uh, mostly developmental trauma, right? So our voice is the first way that we communicate. And ideally we have an attuned parent or caregiver who responds, right? Thinking about like motherese and when babies make sounds. And if we don't have that, it interrupts something sort of fundamental internally. So using sometimes really simple vocal sounds to feel heard and seen and held and what that does to to the psyche, to the nervous system, to feel really held, to have that reparative experience of, you know, perhaps me singing in harmony with them or me singing like a low tone underneath their voice to really feel that sense of, oh, I'm being held, like literally held. It can be really really reparative in addition to what she calls free associative singing which is where which is essentially it's from it's free association but using using the voice so choosing two different chords just two so we have that back and forth rocking sensation right so really simple and then we might sing as a feeling to a feeling or about a feeling so i've had clients choose to i want to sing to my anxiety i want to ask it what the hell it's doing what does it want it's a little bit of parts work really but mm-hmm. but in but in this context of of music sometimes they'll want to sing as the anxiety right like singing this is and and really just getting into the creative process in that way can really bring a lot of really interesting insight into, wow, I didn't think I was going to, I was going to sing that or damn, my anxiety really wants me to be careful because of X, Y, and Z or whatever it might be. So it's really a way to get into the body. And when we sing, we're inherently just so connected. Ideally, we're so connected to our bodies, to our breath, to rhythm, right? And so it allows for a different experience of these repetitive patterns and these feelings. Wow. That is so fascinating. And I'm just like, I'm thinking of some of this silly things, but I'm thinking like, do, you know, what if you aren't a good singer and you want to be a music therapist and you wanted to do this like vocal therapy? Is that, do you, ha- what if you're off key? Like, is that okay? <laughs> what? So it's a great question. Do you mean if you want to be a music therapist or if you want to be a music therapy client? Well, I know for the client, I would think that they should not have to be good at singing. That, yeah. that seems, you know, that yeah, just seems the- like that couldn't be. 
(laughs) needed that wouldn't be right oh exactly no exactly for for clients you don't there is no need to have any experience with singing or instruments or anything like that some of my clients have played have experience with you know piano lessons or you know are singers but just as many are not to become a music therapist, yes, you need to to be able to to sing, to be able to pass proficiencies on guitar and piano and voice, as well as if you had a main instrument other than those three. So like I have some friends who are music therapists who their main instrument, what they grew up playing and performing was like viola or clarinet or something. But my main instrument was voice. So the vocal psychotherapy felt really well into my own wheelhouse. But yeah, like to be a music therapist, um, to do vocal psychotherapy, you need to be able to to sing, ideally to sing well, (laughs) to be able to hold that container for people. Um, Doesn't mean you need to be I don't know, Andrea Bocelli or something like we don't need to be, I don't know why, why that example came to mind. Don't need to be an opera singer, but to feel it's an instrument just like, like yeah. anything else, right. And just like any tool you might use as a talk therapist, you need to feel proficient and comfortable with it. So yeah, that, that is important. Wow. That's so interesting to me. Cause um, when you said like, maybe I'll sing in harmony with harmony with them. I thought, well, what if like, you're not a good singer? Oh, <laughs> like, cause you, so now I know you would need to be, to be yeah, able to do that anyway. Yeah. To, definitely to be able to do that. It doesn't need to be perfect. Like I think there are times when I will sing in dissonance with someone because that really mirrors the, the frustration that they're experiencing and I can give them more of that experience but yeah like I I know how to do that I before I trained as a music therapist I spent gosh um I don't know seven eight something like that years doing voice lessons and competitions and musicals and stuff so I feel pretty comfortable with my voice um it's not about me performing or you know Mm -hmm. showing off or anything but the fact that I feel comfortable with it means that I can use it as a tool really intentionally and in a really nuanced way And that's everything from doing vocal psychotherapy exercises with clients, which can go very deep to teaching a client, you know, a really simple humming exercise, right? Which is more like polyvagal stuff of, you know, where where do you notice sensation when you hum? I'll do it with you. And and I need to feel comfortable with that. And that stuff is is much more, much more simple. And that maybe it matters a little less if you're on a particular pitch, but sometimes that can feel really soothing for people, right? Mm -hmm. Like to be able to feel you know, as I exhale, I just let out a really gentle hum, right? It's repatterning these, these experiences that a lot of times people who've experienced trauma don't feel safe in their bodies. And so to have these experiences of, I can feel safe in my body, I can feel, and then not only safe, but pleasure. I can have experiences of pleasure and joy and excitement. And that's ultimately what we want for our clients. And so music is, is a really, I think, natural way to do that because it so often will connect us to that. It does also, and I think maybe a direction for us to to speak to is that music also holds so much so much space and possibility for holding feelings that that are difficult. I don't, you know, I want to, if it's okay, to to speak yeah. a little bit to that side sure. of things because something I often hear maybe a little less these days, but something I've often heard is, you know, oh, you must just make your clients so happy. Um, <laughs> And I think that speaks so much to like a lot of people have had really positive experiences with music in their life. Like I said before, music means something to them, connects them to joy. It makes them dance, makes them smile. I am 150% for that always. 
But in the work that I do and the trauma work that I do, especially music also holds so much space for for sadness, for grief, for loss. Mm -hmm. Music can bring people to tears. It can hold them in their tears, right? Help them feel understood and held by the music. And that's a big part of this work that I do as well, that we need to build internal resources. We need to build the capacity for joy. I think that's something that Janina Fisher writes about a lot, right? The capacity for joy, not only in the world, but in the therapy session. That is so, so important. But we also need to be able to heal the stuckness and heal the patterns. And so often um, the way that I'll use music with clients is also around exploring the difficult places finding a piece of music that holds them in the sadness. So we might do music and imagery that's called recon, um, oh my gosh, what is it called? Re-educative music and imagery, goodness. And that is more about staying with something that feels difficult. So that might be a difficult feeling, memory, sensation, relationship, any of those. We choose one. And sometimes it's really hard just to choose one, but we, we really winnow it down, right? Just finding a small, small moment, a small thing. And then we find a piece of music that, that really holds them in that feeling. And that alone is hard, right? If you've been feeling sad for a long time, why on earth would you want to stay with the sadness? And I'll tell clients, the idea is not to, to keep you there forever, but we need to, if we want to move out of patterns, we need to understand what's happening. We need to understand our relationship to it because that feeling, as much as we may not like it, is likely serving a purpose. Maybe it's serving a purpose for a younger part of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's serving a purpose for, you know, it's serving some sort of a purpose, right? And we have some sort of a relationship to it. And sadness in particular, sadness, anger are two big ones that are particularly tricky for people. And so being able to have a different relationship to it, right? Perhaps a lot of clients for whom anger um, is really difficult, oftentimes because they were not allowed to be angry as kids, or they had experiences of other people's anger that were really overwhelming or terrifying or dangerous to them. And so being able to have an experience of anger, so finding a piece of music that connects to anger. And so now we're working with music that's like a little less pleasant. Again, probably not Stravinsky's Firebird, but never say never. But music that's a little more evocative. It's got a little more friction, tension to it. You know, a little, I'm like rubbing my fingers together, a little more like something, something that evokes and holds in that feeling of anger or anxiety. And then it's the staying with it so that we can learn about it and have build a different relationship to this difficult feeling. Because ultimately we want to ideally to have the capacity to feel angry without it being overwhelming, to feel sad without getting swept under for weeks and weeks and weeks, right? Having that breath of, of emotion is what makes us human, right? It's not realistic to, to, to say, I'm always going to be happy. We need to be able to feel these other feelings and to understand them. And so music and imagery is a really lovely way to, to feel understood. The music helps clients feel understood and held in that. And then they'll create, as they listen, an image that connects to that feeling, that represents that feeling, their experience of it. Again, just connecting them to, I can feel this anger in my body, but I'm still here. I'm okay. Right. The music also, in that it has a clear beginning and an ending, it's a very very safe container, right? So we're not just sort of endlessly talking about it or endlessly, you know, creating images about it. 
but this really safe container of, I can, wow, I can, I can feel this. I can stay with this for three minutes. And I was okay. Right. To feel that like, wow, maybe I even like enjoyed it. It was a different experience of anger Mm. um, to have, to have a piece of music that really reflected that. And no one ever let me feel angry. I was in fact, criticized for being angry and wow, this is different. And we always want to highlight and pay attention to what's different in this work, right? Because that's where the the seeds for change, that sounds so hokey as well, but that's where the possibility for change really exists. Yeah, absolutely. So just out of curiosity, like what's an example of of a song that might someone might use for anger. I just think that if I hear the song, what it is, it helps me mm. conceptualize it differently. Yeah. I mean, I know it's unique to the person, but I was just wondering if it's like Metallica or. It can be. I mean, so again, like I will ask clients, like, is there something from your music that really connects you to anger? And sometimes they've got something, right? Like sometimes it's, it's Metallica. Sometimes it's, oh goodness. Yeah. I mean, Lincoln Park, like sometimes often I will work with music that doesn't have words. So songs are incredibly valuable and I stand by everything I've said about songs thus far, mm-hmm. um, but they add a whole nother layer with the lyrics. Yes. Right. And so sometimes we want to work with, with lyrics, right? Sometimes the value of like, they're singing about me or to me or for me is so powerful. Sometimes it's too much, or sometimes there is a, a disconnect between the lyrics and what the music sounds like. So sometimes I'll work just, often I'll work just with instrumental music. It kind of simplifies it a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I will offer people options. So, so your question was like an example of a, a piece of music. Yeah. Or it could um, be like a, a t- you know, a description of what music that might hold the anger could feel like, is it a fast beat or is it a... It, you know, everyone's experience of anger is different, right? So for yeah. someone, I'm, I'm trying to find a, an answer, but also like an authentic answer. Yeah, um, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so for someone, their experience of anger might be like really fast and driving and, and persistent and relentless and kind of that like, and so then we find a piece of music that matches that. A piece that comes to mind is, um, oh my gosh, what's it called? It's a piano piece called Every Day by, what's her name? Is Carly Commando? I think that's it. And so it's just this sort of relentless, it's almost six minutes long, this like piano piece that just kind of doesn't let up, right? There's this persistence and energy to it, right? It's just, um, if that matches someone's experience of anger, we use that. Um, someone else's experience of anger might be like so uncomfortable in their bodies and kind of like grating and frictiony and oh, like one of those. And so maybe what might resonate, and this is like, this is all with like giant maybes on it. There's a Kronos Quartet piece called Lullaby. Ironically, it sounds nothing like a lullaby. <laughs> and it kind of has that like kind of grating, like quarter tone stuff going on. I believe it's um, based off of an Iranian, I think it's Iranian folk song. And so, and it's a string quartet and it has a lot of that kind of like quarter tone. So like kind of the notes between Western scale notes, if that makes sense. And, and that might more match anger for someone else. So 
I never presume to know. I always tell yeah. my friends, I, I don't assume. I offer options. I always say I didn't compose any of these. I'm not going to be offended if you say no. Like I, yeah. and for some, then that's a big thing actually, because for a lot of people being able to say no is, is a big thing, right? It may not have been okay. It may not still not be okay. So to be able to get really intentional. And like practicing boundaries in, in the moment. Yeah, it's pra- absolutely yeah. practicing boundaries. We might spend 20 minutes on just like going through different different options. I usually just play like a snippet. So it's not like we listen to the whole thing. But being able to say no, have that be heard and, and held and for that to be safe is absolutely practicing boundaries. And also the valuing themselves, right? Which is part of boundaries as well. Of like, this really matters and I'm going to take the time to slow down and be curious about my feeling and be curious about what might match it. And they may not have had those experiences either of like, this feeling is important and I'm important and I am valuable. And so I'm going to really take my time. Yeah. As you're saying that, I can just picture like, Like if one is very anxious and uncomfortable with making a decision, which is common for trauma survivors who, you know, there was no, there was never a safe option. So it was like, you know, for so many of my clients and people I know who've grown up in that kind of environment, it's like, you know, that, you know, you might, if you step this way, it's going to be bad. And if you step this way, it's going to be bad. So you just, it isn't safe to make a decision. So then you want to rush through, uh, just whichever one you like, or, or, uh, that one. Yeah, this is fine. This is fine. And, you know, so to sit with the discomfort of that even, and trust the therapeutic relationship and the process to be able to go, well, what do I like? I mean, that's, that could be months and months of work, I think right there. Of course. I mean, that, that is generally not something we do straight up straight away because like you said the relationship the feeling safe with me feeling comfortable that's so important if we don't have that we really don't have anything yeah. so this work happens in in stages right and so getting to the place of working with anger anxiety probably i mean everyone is different probably doesn't happen right away and always, you know, the option I always have, I'm a really good improviser, both musically and otherwise. And I always have another option up my sleeve. So if it's too much to pick a piece of music that connects to anger or anxiety, then, you know, what if I, you know, what if I just play it on an instrument? You don't have to touch an instrument, but what is it like to just hear me play it just for like 30 seconds? And we see how that is, right? Because that's, it's a little farther removed, right? Yeah. And it's trusting that like, I can, I can take it, right? And I'll say like, I'm okay with playing your anxiety. I'm not scared of it, which symbol, right? Like there's a lot of, mm-hmm. there's a lot of power in that of like, wow, Maya isn't scared of my feeling. I've been scared of this feeling my whole life for good reason, right? <laughs> and so there's a lot of metaphor and symbol, uh, symbolism that happens in this work of like, both of us literally playing um, with these feelings, be exploring them, getting creative around them, getting to know them. Sometimes when doing music and imagery, I'll do it. I might do it with a client if I feel like, if they ask, of course, but if I feel like that might be helpful and supportive, I will offer like, hey, do you want me you know, to do this with you? And sometimes that's so, that's so grounding. That's so what's the word that I want? I can't, they feel less alone. Right. And if they've yeah. always felt alone with their feelings to know that I'm listening to the same music, I'm creating an image. I'm not scared of it. It, it can feel just really like we are on this. We are figuring this out together. We're on this journey together. And so much of the experiences of trauma at any age is, is feeling alone. It's feeling mm-hmm. un, unheard or sometimes not believed or unseen. 
And so to really, to share in that can be incredibly powerful. Yeah. I'm just realizing how much vulnerability it really, I just started thinking about if my therapist, who's not a music therapist, were to say, you know, share with me like a song that's meaningful to you. I probably would be like, oh, like, you know, and it, and I might be like, oh, like part of me might be like, I want to share this. I want my therapist to know about this special thing for me. I know this isn't exactly what you're talking about, but I'm just thinking about the vulnerability of it. And then for the therapist yeah. to like, for me to sit there while he, he, my therapist is a man, uh-huh. listens to it. Oh, that just feels yeah. so like, oh, like, totally. What yeah, he doesn't I mean, like or what is he thinking or what is it right. you know all that stuff it's like funny what it can just like bring up music when you're not is expecting really, it is really evocative it's really intimate it's really yeah. personal and and that can make it be very vulnerable and it's a fine line right like if we're not in therapy if we're not working with something that that feels new and potentially a little vulnerable in some way then we're probably just looping the same patterns yeah and I always tell clients we want to find that space I don't want you crawling out of your skin yeah you know like that's that's not helpful but if you're feeling too much in your comfort zone then that's also not that, not that that we don't want people, I want people comfortable, but also like gently nudged, if that makes sense. Like it's like yoga. It's like to your growth edge, but not injury. Yes, exactly. Thank you. That's a much better description (laughs) than what I just said. (laughs) Yeah. We want to find that space and to be able to come back to, right. Like yoga is such a great, great example, right. Because, you know, I love when teachers are like come back to child's pose at any point, which I do frequently. Um, And so you know, and that's really, that's kind of like the, the dance of, of therapy, really of any kind of therapy, but particularly one which stretches your, your comfort zone. Right. And so we might, you know, if I'm working with someone, we will start, we might start a session with like feeling, getting comfortable and grounded. I might ask them to share, you know, what's something you've been listening to this week, really like low key, not something that, you know, connects to a certain feeling, but Hey, what were you listening to before we, before we started? And then we might go into to some more, you know, difficult, vulnerable stuff. But we always have the option to return back to places of comfort, both in the body and in music and in our relationship. And then to, to go back and forth, right? And, and that's part of the whole process is figuring out when do we look at something that feels difficult? When do we come back to a familiar and calming place? And in the way that I work, there isn't a, you know, a prescriptive way, a preset way that we do that. We're both always figuring it out together in the moment. And I figure it out individually for, for each client because they're all so different and they're all different, you know, week to week as we are all of us as humans. Yeah. So interesting as you were saying that, and you and I are on video, even though the audience won't see this, uh, you were moving Mm. too when you were saying, you know, we can be in the comfort and then we can be in the emotion and you know, it was rhythmic in the way Mm -hmm. you were (laughs) demonstrating Yeah, I move a lot. I talk a lot with my hands. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I, it, it is rhythmic. That's yeah. I mean, there's rhythm in, in so much of, of what we do and just, I often will kind of do, you know, like the figure eight motion for clients around, around moving in and out of vulnerability, right? Because we want to be gently challenged. That's why they're there. They want to be gently, at least some part of them wants to be gently challenged so that there can be change. And then they also want to feel safe because that is our deep human need is to feel safe and to feel held, right? And again, that can be so reparative for someone who didn't have that or still doesn't have that. And so we go back and forth, right? And the music can just really hold both of those 
spaces, like you said, it can be so vulnerable to share. It can be so vulnerable to use your voice, mm-hmm. um, to pick a piece of music, to, you know, to draw what a feeling looks like. Yeah, it's vulnerable. And the spaces in which we're vul- we are vulnerable are the spaces in which there is the potential for change. Yeah. I love it. I'm I'm just sensing like, it's like, you know, that titration, like you were saying about the window of tolerance. Yep. It's like, you get a taste of this discomfort or sensation or vulnerability or whatever it is, pain, sadness, fear, anger, whatever. And then you go back to the safety and the comfort yeah, of the exactly. therapeutic relationship and the familiar and, yep. you know, and that gives you this like strength and trust to be able to try again a little yeah. bit differently or a little bit more or whatever. Yeah. So exactly. Yes. And, and thank you for bringing the word titration. And that's often a, a word that I'll, that I'll teach to my clients because the tendency often in trauma work is to, you know, to kind of jump headlong down the rabbit hole, um, to retell the story. And, and that tendency makes sense, but also we want to, to interrupt that pattern. I want to interrupt that pattern of, we don't want to, I don't want you to just tell me the same story. Um, I want to hear the story. The story matters, but doing in a way that feels safe. So I'll pause people and say, what's happening in your body as you're talking or what's happening in your body as we're listening. And, and just really, you know, doing little chunks at a time and, and then over time linking those, those pieces mm-hmm. together. Exactly. I just want to underline that. Like it's that when you have, when one has this urgency to tell the story and then they start telling the story and they're like barely stopping and, you know, they don't, maybe don't even seem to show any emotion as they tell it, but, you know, and then this happened and then this happened and then this happened and this happens like that's, that's reliving, re-experiencing. That's not, you know, being in your window of tolerance and feeling the emotions connected with it. That's just re-traumatizing. Right. And to think of, you know, think of that in rhythmic terms to kind of maybe come come full mm-hmm. circle and exactly. in some way if if you're someone if a client is retelling the same you know the story in just kind of a fast pressured way there's no breath the rhythm to that right if we if you and I were mm-hmm. to play and I'm, I'm making the gesture with my hand right yeah and oh there is no breath in there mm-hmm. and what what is not available there's so much that's not available to us if we're not really connected to our breath obviously they're breathing I always tell clients like you know unless you've passed out you're breathing in some sense but if we have that sort of relentless rhythm, then you aren't connected to, to feeling your body, to feeling your breath. And so it's, it's playing around with the pauses, right? Like interjecting a little bit of like a, in musical terms, like putting a rest in the middle of that, that measure, right? Or having there be a, a long, a long held fermata, like, you know, to think in musical terms, which we don't have to, but the pauses, right? And how is even that, which is so subtle, but so important that shifts the experience, right? Mm -hmm. So then the the nervous system gets a different experience of a story they may have told so many times or never, right? And so- But they might be like, they might be replaying it in their head constantly, even if they've never told, right? Right. Yeah. And so you read exactly. And sometimes I find if someone is, is saying, and I've had those experiences, I'm sure you've had where they say, I've never told anyone this that's that's true and but they've thought about it a lot and so it'll often still come out in that really 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 fast way because it spent so much time in their heads and of course there's a desire to for catharsis we want catharsis we want someone else to hold the story and so it is you know it's always that that balance and again I'm doing that movement with my hand that like figure eight that figuring out 
what, what a client needs, you know, how to help them slow down, but also how to help them feel enough of the emotion so that we can work with it. Right. And finding, and that's always a, a sort of a navigation session, to session moment to moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not always perfect. The thing about rhythm, you know, is that rhythms are not, are not meant to be perfect, right? Like think about cycles of rupture and repair in our lives, which are again, normal and natural. And so rhythm is not meant to be perfect, just like we're not meant to always be calm. And so it can happen, you know, where we have, you know, a little bit of friction or kind of we've lost the thread. And that's, that just really mirrors what, what rhythm, what relationships or life are are like in life. And so that's important to notice as well, that rhythm just waxes and wanes and shifts. There's a fluidity. Yeah. That's so interesting. I I just, I know we have to stop, but I just started thinking about like marching bands and, you know, when I was a kid going to parades and stuff and the high school marching bands would be performing and how, you know, when they were in sync and rhythm, it felt there was something, it's hard to put into words, but there was like a connected feeling Mm -hmm. with that. It would be like, you know, let's say they would be like, or whatever. And they just all start doing it. And, and when they get to that point in the parade, you know, everybody who's watching is like, ah, you know, it just like something happens. And then maybe, yeah. And then like, it might, they switch to a different song or something's off sync. And then they, go into a different thing and they're back in rhythm and it it feels like that synchronicity and I don't know it's it is hard to put it into words <laughs> yeah I think synchronicity is is a great is a great word right and so we and it, it just really mirrors what we've been talking about about feeling that that sense of of um, consistency and and yeah. uh, reliability right in the therapy process in the therapy room of like I'm here you're here we're here in this feeling together and we we really crave that and we deserve that as as humans and we don't always get it And so therapy can be such a, such a reparative place for that to experience that, right. To have experiences of we're here together and present with you, right. There's this back and forth exchange, this consistent, consistent rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. Well, Maya, thank you so much for coming back to talk about this today. This is really interesting. And I feel like I do have a deeper understanding now of how you use rhythm in your practice. And, you know, of course I want to do it now. I'm like, Oh, (laughs) how can I try this? But where can people learn more about what you're doing and, you know, if they want to work with you? I don't know if you have openings or anything. Um, at, at the moment of this recording, I have a couple of openings um, and I often will do like workshops and trainings and stuff for other professionals. So Wonderful. yes, the best place to to find me is my website, which is just mayabenatar.com. Awesome. I'll link to that Perfect. in the show notes for our listeners. And I just want to thank you again for being my guest for the second time on Therapy Chat today. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you to Therapy Notes for sponsoring this week's episode. I do love Therapy Notes. It's such an asset to my business and makes my job as a practice owner and a therapist much easier. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. Use coupon code CHAT or click the link in the show notes to get two free months at therapynotes.com. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. 
With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.